Vlogs. My name is Kyle Southern. If you like what we've been doing, please don't forget to subscribe and share our content. Help us get our name out there. Today, we're happy to have on Porter Hayes from Arkansas Sports and Culture. You can catch him on Twitter, and then later on in the show, towards the end, we'll have him talk about exactly what he does. Porter, appreciate you coming on, man. It's great to have you. Thanks, Terry, for having me. It's been a pleasure. I've been following following some stuff you've been doing, and you know we've been able to kind of touch base with uh, Hog Talk podcast, and especially with the following of uh, Sports and Culture Arkansas. So it's it's a pleasure to be on. Yeah, it's great to have all those connections. Uh, just what you guys share with not just sports and culture, but and we'll also touch on you joining the Hog Talk. Got a great relationship with Jacob and Ty as well, so we'll touch on that later. Look forward to hearing about that. So as we're recording, it is August 1st. It's football season officially. The Razorbacks are on campus. They have reported fall camp starts tomorrow. So as this as this pod drops, it will be starting that morning as since we're going to post on a Friday. What is your take going into this season? There's so many what ifs. I mean, you see it every single season. Everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid right now. We're ready to see what we have. What is your take on what we have going into fall camp and then end of the season here in the next couple of weeks? I think the biggest takeaway is, uh, you know, the fans have actually, you know, because in years past it's been, you know, we're we're definitely going to get that seven win mark, or we might get eight, oh, we might get nine, but I think they finally kind of pumped the brakes and and faced the facts that hey, let's see what they can do first before we start making their predictions. There's so many people out there that have, you know, made predictions early, but but this season, you know, they're they're a little hesitant to to make that prediction based on what happened last year. But the biggest thing is going to be that O-line and are they going to be able to block at a fast pace, allow the quarterback to get the ball out. Um, the O-line, you know, it affects the running game, the passing game, so it, it fully relies on who can step up and fill those roles and really become elite blockers to get that, you know, the running game going. After Sam Pittman left before the 2016 season, everything just pretty much fell downhill. Recruiting, development, you name it. Under Sam Pittman and and his three seasons on campus, they gave up, I believe it was 14. I, I don't think it was over 35 in three seasons. It was somewhere around that range. So phenomenal, phenomenal all kinds of effort around. And then you bring in the uh, Kurt, what was his name? Uh, I can't even remember. The guy we brought in from the Buffalo Bills, uh, Kurt, uh, his name, his last name slipped in my mind. But anyway, in the last couple, three years, so under Dustin Fry, who is Chad Morris's offensive line coach, and then the two years under Kurt, we gave up a total of 105 or 102 sacks, something around that range. Obviously, that's not going to cut it. As you said, that's where it all begins. And so this year, as opposed to last, we have 16 scholarship offensive linemen as opposed to eight last year. They didn't have enough to field two teams to, to practice with last year. So they've, they've already announced the starting five that they're going to have going into camp tomorrow. And what, what do you think? Do you, do you think that Myron Cunningham coming in? Now, we know that Chibuzi Nwana is probably not going to contribute a whole lot this year. He's even come to Dustin Fry and said that he's just not really – he's not really feeling it right now. I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but essentially what was said, he's just not quite there yet. There's some things that he needs to work on. Where do you think that Myron Cunningham's place will be in this? I want to start with that since he had so much potential coming in, choosing Arkansas over Oklahoma. 
Well, you know, anybody can, you know, highly recruited or, you know, highly coming in and thought it's, there's a huge difference when you come into SEC. So it just depends on how, how much he adapts to this, you know, the up-tempo Chad Morris offense, the blocking schemes and all that. I mean, if it couldn't be worse than what we've had, uh, you know, you've, you've got players just not being able to, to block for a, a full four quarters. So you, that's what you've seen in the second half decline is they just, they were not conditioned to play in Brett Bielema's scheme. They were getting gassed in the fourth quarter of those games. So now you're going to, Let's double the tempo and expect the same guys to block. So him coming in is it's it's a fresh look. I mean, you know, Chad Morris has really went out there and got these players who he feels can fit into his system. So I think we're really going to get a taste year two into year three of okay, he's getting his guys to come in and try to go with his system. So I, I think he's going to be really good because if he's used to that style, that's what high school kids play now, that up-tempo spread. So anything's better than somebody that's used to blocking for that play-action, run-based offense. Well, they're going to start at, at the first day of fall camp. From left to right, it's going to be Colton Jackson at tackle and then Austin Caps at left guard, Ty Clary at center, Shane Clinton at right guard, and Dalton Wagner at right tackle. We saw a lot of that of those guys playing last year. Austin Caps, of course, coming over from the defensive line. Colton Jackson just really hasn't lived up to the potential, especially at the quarterback's blind side. Ty Clary, man, he struggled a lot last year, especially in the shotgun. So it's it's really kind of a wonder if he's going to be able to snap the ball consistently well. And really on the right side, you got a lot of potential, but a lot of youth. I mean, I'm looking at the roster right now, and Clennon and Wagner are both redshirt sophomores. You got Noah Gatlin, that's a red, that's a redshirt freshman. So I think that they are eventually going to get it going at some point. I think it'll eventually gel once they get now. I don't think that these five guys are going to be the starter going into Portland state. I've heard a lot of, let's say that Colton Jackson actually works out at left tackle. You might, and Ty Clary kind of struggles at center. You move Shane Clinton from right guard to center. You put Myron Cunningham at right guard. If he can play that. So you've got a bunch of different, you got a whole different, set of guys that you can play at this now that you actually have depth. And that's kind of a breath of fresh air for me, because again, when you have eight guys and you can't even fill two teams, that's really scary. And on top of that, in the sec, you've got to have guys on the offensive and defensive line, especially you got to have ones and twos that can consistently play all four quarters, as you see with teams like Alabama and LSU. So moving Moving on to the quarterbacks. Now, this is a, I've had a lot of conversations with people about this on other podcasts, on here. This has been an ongoing conversation between Razorback fans really since Nick Starkle and Ben Hicks have been on campus. But this is a lot better situation. You know that you've got two guys that can probably get the job done. If one of them can't, then probably the other one can. So we're obviously a lot more optimistic than we were coming into last year. Chad said at SEC Media Days that he wants to he wants to get a starting quarterback sooner than later. So the first scrimmage is going to be in about a week, so he could name it right after that. Who do you think, just based on what we know right now, who do you think starts day one at Portland or against Portland State? To me, it's definitely Ben Hicks. Um, you know, because you know Nick Starkle hasn't even stepped on campus, and you know he's just now going to get his first taste of. Chad Morris's offense, you know, so 
I think he's going to bank on, you know, not really the safe way to go, but I think just with how, you know, Hicks come in with that leadership and, and he already knows, you know, Morris's offense and he can get the ball out, you know, now, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, with the way things ended with, uh, you know, Starkle not getting the job done and they went with Mond over him, it just, he didn't fit that system. So, I mean, he could come in and give that that pressure to Hicks to, okay, I've got to step it up and instead of, I know I got this. So it's really going to help him with that competitive part of having somebody right there on his heels. It could go either way. But if I was to pick right now who the number one starter is going to be, it, it would be definitely be Hicks. I agree, and pretty much my take on it has been that Starkle is the more talented player. It would, I'd love it to be honest if he could come in, if he could come into fall camp and he could get the starting spot, and because I think that it eventually will be him. That's just kind of what I think at this point. Uh, but I think that I think that Ben will probably get it at Portland State. The thing that scares me, and I, I, Chad is not typically. I've actually talked to a. I've got a guy that is out in Greenville, South Carolina. That's a massive Clemson fan that I've actually had on here, and we talk pretty frequently. And he has mentioned to me that Chad is just not really one of those guys to. And I know you're a Clemson fan as well. Chad is is not really one of those guys to just alternate quarterbacks like he did last year with Ty Story and Cole Kelly. He didn't really have a choice. He had no idea what he had. So I just hope that Ben Hicks, if he's going to be the starter from day one, that he goes out, he runs the offense efficiently against Portland State, as any quarterback with this roster should against a team like that. Not not to discredit them, but there's no doubt that there's way more talent on this team than there is Portland State. What concerns me is, let's just say Ben goes out and he doesn't perform very well. Nick goes out and he's just not quite there yet, maybe not necessarily talent-wise, but this is a tough offense to grasp. I'm just using this as a worst-case scenario. You come out with that game, and then you go into Ole Miss at Oxford, and you really still don't even know who your guy is at that point. Pretty much what I'm getting at is, we need to know for sure by game one who our guy is, and you would hope with Ben Hicks's experience, with Nick Starkle's SEC experience, with his drive to succeed, with all that he went through at A&M, that he will let, that the that both of these guys will with each other during fall camp, and one of them will come out knowing that this is their team. Yeah, and and the only the only way I'd kind of uh, disagree with the point on that is, you know, he might have his guy ready, set, go by week one, but you're you're playing scrimmage against your own team. And then week one is Portland State. So, I mean, everybody already knows, you know, you're going to win that game. So you're expected to do that. So then, okay, we got our guy. Then here comes Ole Miss, and you think, think you've got your guy, and he doesn't pan out. At least he's got a backup plan. So to me, my game to where I'm going to figure out, okay, who our guy is, is going to be that old Miss game and how they kind of handle that atmosphere. I'm not saying go balls out and throw 450 yards and three touchdowns. I'm saying command the offense, get up and down the field, and, and makes those sharp throws. You know, that's that's the game that's going to be tell off for me. Yeah, and that's 
you pretty much have three out of the, the first four games. They, they should be ones that, and, I, and I'm careful how I use the word tune up because you can't, you can't take anybody lightly, not just with what happened with Arkansas's non-conference last year, but we see every year, either a team gets upset or they almost get beat because they just don't show up. The other team does, but you would think that Portland state. So you got Ole Miss, of course, in week two, as we mentioned, then you've got Portland state week one, and then uh, you've got Colorado State, which, man, you know, we know what happened with them last year. They come into Fayetteville. you got to get that one. And then before A&M, you've got San Jose State. So you, you, I think for sure that you have to, to get Ole Miss, start 4-0, and be, be that by the time that you get to A&M in order if, if they're even going to talk about bowl games. But they've got to use these, they've got to use these tune-up games, so to speak, as that time to – to get make sure that either Ben, whether he's the guy or Nick is, that they're running this offense efficiently. And even too, even in those games, I think that they like, especially if the score is where they want it to be, even get put get some packages for KJ Jefferson. Yeah, you know, he's got four games that he can play before he has to take the red shirt. Get him some experience in there. I don't I mean they're already going to play so many freshmen. And so if the timing is right, if it's appropriate, get him in there as well and get him start going. And so I, I just really, I, I truly do believe, I mean, there's some people that I've been talking to about this that have taken it as I'm saying that Ben is going to be the guy all the way. I don't think they brought Nick Starkle in here uh, to not play a good significant amount this year. And I'm going to, I'm going to probably say that maybe after game two or three, just my shot in the dark prediction that he probably is the guy after that. Yeah. And, and that's the say, and that's where we're at. You know, we're, we're kind of, we're on the same situation we was last year with with Cole Kelly and Ty Story, but fortunately, it's a level up. You know, we're, we're not looking at these basically these mid-major quarterbacks battling between who's going to give us the best game. Of course, uh, according to now we got two elite quarterbacks that can actually win us some games. So you know, we're actually in a good position that way. So I mean, yeah, that that is true because we don't know but yeah at least if Hicks doesn't pan out or if he's just not the better man we got somebody that can replace him that can win us enough games to get to a bowl game so we talked about the offensive line we talked about the quarterbacks we know that there's got to be at least one or two running backs that are really going to break out especially if they're all healthy which it looks like they are right now with Rakeem Boyd, Devwall Whaley, Chase Hayden and hopefully TJ Hammonds them finding a spot with him getting in the mix we know what we have with with C.J. O'Grady at tight end and hopefully Hudson Henry and then all the guys that they have there with uh, Chase, the guy that moved over. That's another name that's slipping my mind. Chase it's, Hayden? Chase, no, Dalton Hyatt. Yeah, well, no, not Dal- Dalton Hyatt moved from quarterback to receiver. Okay. But then there was okay. a uh, there was a receiver that moved to tight end. His name oh. uh, he, He's a transfer from Kansas. His, I know his name's Chase. His last name slips my memory. But you're going to have him, and then you're also going to have Grayson Gunner, who has done really well. In the, he's been a red zone threat the last couple of years. So you're pretty deep at tight end. I mean, outside of C.J. O'Grady, you don't really have a lot of guys that have proved themselves. But then you've got Hudson Henry, the best tight end in the nation, coming in. So you're going to be pretty solid there. Receiver was a position that, well, they struggled at just about every position last year. But the guys last year, they really they couldn't get really separation. They weren't aggressive a lot of the times. They just weren't really that good for the most part. And you've got the best receiving class in the country coming in. You signed four four-star players. But there's a couple of people that I think are getting – a couple of guys that are getting slept on. Mike Woods, for instance, that came in as a freshman. Chad 
had been recruiting him since he was at SMU. And he actually committed to SMU, decommitted, came to Arkansas with him, enrolled early. I think that's a guy that's going to have a big year. And also, too, there's they're saying that Jordan Jones, he, he didn't really do a whole lot last year. He's one of the fastest guys on the team. That's another guy that really needs to step up. I believe he's a he's either a redshirt junior or a senior, a true senior this year. So his his clock is ticking. Who are some guys outside? We know we know Trey Knox is going to be big in this year with his true freshman year. But who are some guys that you think are really going to stand out in the receiving core? You know, you you mentioned it before, and I, I think uh, T.J. Hammonds is going to because we've seen what his capabilities are. And everybody was so frustrated that, you know, under Bielema, they, they felt like he wasn't getting the ball enough. And and I think it finally just got to him enough to where he just, all right, you know, I've tried to do the best I could. I've got my touches. So I think when, especially in Chad Morris's offense, we've seen what, you know, he modeled it, you know, at, at Clemson and seen what they can do with the, especially with the tight end play. Uh, if you get the tight end playing going and you open that middle field, it's going to leave those those defenders right there in the middle. So those guys are going to be able to get that separation. But, you know, I think you you run them sweeps and, and stuff like that off TJ Hammonds and then you have him out on the flats and run them slants. I mean, it's going to open up those other guys that when they want to go deep. Yeah, and I, I think that a lot of times that – TJ has the coaches have held him back and Bielema certainly did. I think that he's had his own off the field stuff that, that has gone on as well. I don't mean, I don't, can't confirm that. I think that there's been some, some issues too, that I wouldn't put completely on the coaches, but I'm also kind of started to be convinced that maybe Chase Hayden, I know that he had lost his grandma and he spent some time in Tennessee when she had passed away kind of in the middle of the season last year. But I'm also wondering too, if he had had some injury, I mean, there, there was a really, a ton of injuries in the backfield. I mean, Rakeem played injured the entire year. He had come in a little bit out of shape and he came in about this time last year. So he had to grasp the offense. So even the fact that he was able to rush for almost 800 yards in eight games essentially is, is pretty good to me. And that's, he averaged about a hundred a game almost. And then of course, Devois was looking like the best he had ever looked since he had been on campus. And then he gets hurt. And so there is just so much, and we we say this about so many players every single year, but I don't know that I've ever seen this much potential for skill players at Arkansas. We we knew what Joe when when Joe Adams and Jarius Wright and Greg Childs all those guys came in, we knew that at some point in Petrino's offense, especially with Ryan Mallett being there, that this was gonna this thing was gonna explode. But I don't know that in my time as a Razorback fan that I've ever seen this much potential, especially in the backfield. I mean, you've got four guys that in some capacity were four stars coming out of high school. Devil Whaley was a top five running back in the country. TJ Hammonds was in some polls, the number one player coming out of Arkansas. And there is just so much that could happen. And we've, I think that so many have talked about the non-conference games and possibly beating A&M, possibly beating Kentucky. I don't think I've heard anybody talk about Mississippi state, like the back end of the schedule after Alabama, you've got a chance to win three of your last four. You've got Western Kentucky, LSU, Mississippi State, and Missouri. Of course, you're probably not going to beat LSU and Baton Rouge. They've got a really good team this year. Western Kentucky comes in with Ty Story, and you're probably going to beat them, you would hope. And then with the last two games, I'm looking at those, and we don't have a clue what Mississippi State has. They could come out firing on all cylinders, but they also lost – 
three top, I think first, maybe two first round draft picks in a second round on defense. They lost their season quarterback. And then of course, Missouri, it's looking like they're not even going to have anything to play for. I don't know. I don't know if they've announced the appeal yet. I don't think they have, but it's looking like they're not going to go bowling. So really the only thing that they would have to play for is if Arkansas is like at five wins and they try to spoil their chance at a bowl. So that's another thing that I don't think people are thinking about is if things go right, you beat Ole Miss and you either get Kentucky or A&M, the last two games, you, I mean, if all goes to plan, and I'm being completely optimistic here, it's not crazy to think that they can win six or seven games. No, not at all, not at all. And and the thing is, if if I was to have to choose Mississippi State or Missouri, I would go Mississippi State because it's like even in, in games where we should have won by 14 or 21 over Missouri, it's like they've got our number for some reason, some way. It's just not been able to go the way – that we want it just like the Texas A&M, you know, we, at the very beginning we had that win, but then it seems like ever since then we've almost been there and it slipped away. So, but yeah, definitely if they win that Ole Miss game, that's going to be that charge. Okay. We got that monkey off our back. We got that, that, uh, that sec win that, you know, everybody's writing Arkansas off. There's a few people that say in one game, but mostly everybody else is saying, Oh, they're going to go winless in sec play again. So if they get that monkey off their back with Ole Miss, there's no telling what they can do. Kentucky lost, you know, they don't have that explosive offense as they did last year. So, you know, that's a possible win. So, but I don't, I'm, that's the discouraging thing with the, with the Missouri game is because you just don't know what, what fire they're going to bring to that game. That's my thing too, is I, my, my dad's family is from Missouri. So I've caught a lot of grief and, that time that we've been playing them for the battle line rivalry, we've only won once. And yeah, it's, I've caught in all kinds, especially the last, I guess, 2016 and 2018 were probably the worst for me just because you get in 2016, you go up the 21 point lead. And then in 2018, you just go into Missouri and you just get your butt kicked. I mean, that was just pathetic the way that they played there. And it's, it's almost kind of like you, you make a good point. They've had our number kind of like how we've had outside of last year, it's almost like it's destiny for us to beat Ole Miss and you beat them 30 to nothing. And then the next year you have the fourth and 25. And then two years later you have the, the comeback for Bielema's only win in the sec before he gets fired. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's like A&M and, and Missouri. You, you just have to, I feel like you've got to get one of those. Of course. Yeah. Ole Miss is the crucial one, but it'd just be so nice to get at least A&M or Missouri because realistically, we're not. I'm predicting five wins, but from an optimistic standpoint, if you get Ole Miss, you get Kentucky on the road or A&M in Dallas, and you could possibly get those last two. Because by by the time that you're playing your last two games, these guys will have figured out what their identity is, who their quarterback is, who their consistent starting offensive line is, and so. I want to move on from that real quick, and I just want, I don't want we don't have to break down position by position. But I want you to kind of give me your overall. We know that on the defensive side of the ball, that they're going to be seasoned on the defensive line. Tons of t- tons of experience there. Scooter Harris is the guy at linebacker. Him and Bumper Pool, who is young but has tons of potential. Outside of them, we really don't know what it looks like, especially with the lack of depth. And then in the secondary, you've got a lot of talent and potential, but a lot of youth. So just kind of give me an overall 
opinion of what you have about what we could see possibly on defense this year? It's just that experience. And biggest thing is how are those leaders going to step up and become leaders? Uh, I've, I've mentioned this on, on the, the hog talk, you know, it's, you have to have a foundation and you got to have that leader step up and guide the team. They didn't have that. They didn't have any identity last year, offense, defense, nothing, you know? So, you know, you got, the good thing is you've got one experienced guy on the line. You got somebody in the secondary to kind of, you know, balance out and help those guys come up and not get too discouraged. So, if, you know, they don't, if, if the defense just doesn't allow a lot of those big plays that we're so used to seeing them just get burned on, I mean, we forget, yeah, they went two wins and then they've, but they had a chance. They was in a lot of those games. So if they can just get over that hump of closing out the games, we are looking at six, seven wins. So that's going to be the biggest thing is how, how the corners are going to be able to not let those guys make those big plays. You know, the, the linebackers coming up and helping stop the run. And, of course, you know, with, with a seasoned guy on the, on the defensive line, are they going to be able to actually get pressure on the quarterback? If he can get pressure on the quarterback, you know, there's no telling what can happen. Yeah, that's going to be the key. Pass rush and really just – being aggressive, that's what it really boils down to. I think we saw a lot of that last year to where we took bad angles. We weren't being aggressive. I mean, really, just there's not – there wasn't – there, there was some really good games that they played. You look at A&M, that was probably the best defensive game that we had that year. There was times where we saw potential, but there was also other times where we didn't see much effort at all. And so – that's going to be the key for me is how are they going to overcome this linebacker depth and how are they going to – I think that we're going to be fine on the defensive line. But how how are we going to be at linebacker with the lack of depth and some lack of experience? You've got guys like Giovanni LaFrance, D.D. Edwards, Andrew Parker. They're going to have to really step up that haven't played much or at all, a couple of them. And then in the secondary, who's going to step up? Who's going to be the out of – Guys like Greg Brooks, true freshman coming in, and also another true freshman in Devin Bush, who are going to be those guys that step up in the secondary. The bit, Before we close out, is, oh sorry, go, oh, ahead. go ahead. No, you're good. Go ahead. No, I was saying, you know, the other biggest thing is with that is, you know, who's going to step up on that third down when we need somebody to come in and, and get that huge stop? You know, you're down seven, you, you need that third down stop. Who's going to step up and get you that third down stop to, to get your offense back on the field and, and tie or eventually win a game? Yeah, absolutely. And so before we do close out, uh, I want to touch on something. I want, to, I want to talk about special teams. I don't know that I've, besides the, the punt return against North Texas, and just talking about how awful they were last year, I don't know that on this podcast I've ever talked about special teams. It's not the sexiest part of the game. It's not something that people really think about a whole lot unless you have a game-winning field goal or something like that. But in the offseason, Chad Morris brought in, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, they brought in Sam Loy, a punter that had started his career at Vanderbilt, was a freshman All-American, transferred to Colorado, sat out via the transfer rules, and never played there, but then came to Arkansas. He is a walk-on, so he won't have to sit out. He can play immediately. What that tells me, them bringing in a punter to challenge Reed Bauer. Now, on, in the kicking game, 
we were we did very well last year. Um, Connor Limpert was a solid kicker. He was was a hundred percent on his field go- on his extra points, twenty nine for twenty nine. Had a long field goal of fifty five, was nineteen to twenty four, so just under eighty percent. He is a Lou Groza preseason preseason final or preseason candidate, not finalist. So I think we're going to be fine in the kicking department. Punting and kick return and punt return were pretty bad last year. Punting, Reed Bauer had a couple of good ones. He had one that was 64. He averaged just under four. He also shanked quite a few. Punt and kick return, I I don't know about you, every time we had one of those, I gasped for air. I was just terrified. I couldn't look half the time. The North Texas game, it's been even still played on national TV. It, It went viral. Just so many embarrassing plays that lost us games. I mean, it arguably lost us the Texas A&M game last year. You lose 24-17 if they don't return that kickoff at the beginning of the game. You're going into another overtime with A&M that we've seen so many times in the past. So what does that tell to you that you signed the punter? I mean, to me it says that these coaches care about every aspect of the game, that they know that you win, you can win and lose games off a of special team. So what does that tell you that they even bring in a punter to compete for playing time with the one that they already have? Uh, huge, because, I mean, that was that was a lot of the, you know, you think punt game, as much as people don't talk about it, that controls half of your, your, your field position. You go three and out or you do a drive and it's four down, you have to punt. Okay, that punter, you know, he's averaging under 40, so – you know, you, you, your average start is around the 30 or 40 of the other, you know, uh, of their own yard line. So if they bring in a punter, that tells me, I mean, I hate to say it, but they're not as confident in him to move that ball back another 10, 15 yards because 10 or 15 yards is huge. So bringing in that punter, yes, I mean, they, that's a lot of coach. A lot of teams don't even have a special teams coach. So for them to go out and get a punter and, and bring him in, one, it seemed like, okay, they're confident in getting this punter to come in and, and get the job done. But then again, it just shows that they're not as confident in the, the guy they have. So they want to go fill that void because, you know, if you're wanting to have success, you know, you're, that one punt, like you said, with, with the Texas A&M game, you know, it was 24-17, you know, you have one bad punt and it's 17, 17. And now they're at the 40 yard line. They all, they got to do is drive 20 yards down the field or 30 yards down the field, kick a field goal to win the game. So them going out and get a punter really tells that, okay, they're, they're ready to try to start turning things around. And I I think it's, we're going to see, you know, even if it is five, six wins, we're going to see drastic improvement. And, and for me, as long as they show that improvement and they play a four full quarter game, they're working on their special teams, punt return, kick return, and and they make improvements on all that. I think the fan base is going to be a little bit more comfortable knowing, okay, this is headed in the right direction opposed to here we go again. Yeah, that's where I'm at. That's pretty much been my prediction is that we're going to get five wins, but they will see drastic improvements. I don't think they're going to get outclassed. Maybe, Maybe against like an Alabama or LSU in Baton Rouge, like I could see. But even though typically they play LSU pretty well, you've seen that many times. Bielema's first year, they're three and eight going in, and expected to get slaughtered in the last game of the year. And 
They go down there and and almost win the game, losing the last couple seconds. So who knows? I, I think that we're there's going to be you can't you can't be much worse than it was last year in the win category or just how they they showed on the field. But we're about out of time. And before we get off here, as some of the things that we mentioned that that you do earlier at the beginning of the show, I want you to kind of just elaborate on what you do for sports and culture and then talk about your new gig that you got going with with Jacob and Ty at the Hog Talk. Well, with with sports and culture, Arkansas, it it started with um, with, you know, what Mike Neighbors and and the women's team did in in Greenville Uh, had a. A uh, buddy of mine. I'm being from South Carolina. I've got a few connections, and small world as it is, there's a guy who actually was on the ESPN Upstate in South Carolina. That's from Conway, Arkansas, and so me and him had been talking. Well, the Ladybacks go out to uh, Greenville, and I mean they caught the SEC by storm. I mean they really made waves and an impression on the whole conference. So. A guy, Tyler Butler, he's the founder of Sports and Culture, was wanting information, and I just started feeding him. We started a relationship and started, uh, you know, talking to each other, and he's like, hey, well, you know, start writing for me. So me being out here in Arkansas and Chad Morris being from Clemson, there, there's so much similarities between Arkansas and Clemson that, you know, I started, you know, writing and, and following the, the ladybacks and and then within that, I got hooked up with with Jacob with Hog Talk, and so I've been on the show a few times with them, and have really gotten to know Jacob a lot and Ty. And so recently, they asked me to you know become the producer of of the podcast, which I mean that was just a, six months ago. I was doing nothing, and now I'm writing and and blogging for Sports and Culture Arkansas, and now I'm a producer of a podcast. So I mean. You know, God works in mysterious ways and he's already got your your plan laid out for you. And, you know, I've, I've kind of made up this motto of, you know, hustle never sleeps and you're always wanting to do better for your life. And especially if you've got a family, you know, you're always looking for ways to to do more, to provide more. And so it, it's just a fun way because it, you know we get to talk talk about sports now. So. um but mainly with sports and culture, we try to go grab those stories that not everybody else covers. We try to, you know, follow teams like the women's basketball team year round and, and, and show them love and give them more credit than they get. Because what Mike Neighbors is doing up there on the hill, I mean, it's he, he's going to have that team in the NCAA tournament every year. I mean, they almost did it last year. So but with Tog Talk, it's it's been awesome getting to do the shows and you know, it got us connected and where I'm able to be on your show. So it's been amazing. Yeah, it's, it has. I mean, I, I've formed networking all across the country just through this I and mean, just through Twitter. Uh, and it's, you, got, you know, connects in Kentucky, South Carolina, California, New York. So it's networking is great. And yeah, it's good, good to be talking with all you guys. I've, I've had a good relationship with Jacob and Ty for, for a while now. So, uh, but yeah, well, that's good stuff, the, man. It's the uh, funny thing is about that with like, you're talking about the Twitter networking. So I'm an avid listener of the halftime show on up here in, uh, on the ESPN Arkansas. Well, Phil was actually covering the women's team in Greenville. So he was needing a spot to do a show in the hotel that he was at. They were going to charge him $250 a day just to plug up an ethernet cord to do his two hour show. So 
I reached out to my buddies out there in South Carolina. I said, hey, man, what can we do about getting this guy, you know, ESPN to ESPN? What can we do to get him some a, a place to do the show? Well, the main guy out there in ESPN upstate, his name's Mark Sturgis, went and picked Phil up from the airport or the hotel and took him to his own house and let him remote the show for two days from his bedroom. Wow. You know, and it's just crazy how Twitter brings people together. That, yeah. that is the good thing about social media and sports. Sports is that one thing that can always bring people together. So, and that's what started the relationship between Phil and Sturge and all this stuff that intertwines a conversation a year ago with a guy in South Carolina has now started all this stuff. It's crazy. It's awesome. Twitter, Twitter can uh, be, be great for many things. It can also be not so great, but in this case it worked out in a positive manner. And so we'll make sure you go follow sports and culture. It's the sports and then the and sign, correct? And culture. It's at my sports culture at, at my sports on, culture. on Twitter. Yes. Okay. The, the, yeah, cool. The, and then of course the hog talk, they've been growing like crazy. That's uh, at uh, the, and then H A W G talk. And is, is it that or is it the Hog Talk podcast? I'm, I'm messing up talk, here. Yeah. It, it, it bring up the Hog Talk. Okay, cool, cool. So it's that. And then what is? And then give us your personal Twitter handle. My, mine is at Clemson Fan N A R. And don't be going on there giving him crap. He he loves the Razorbacks as well. So, well, awesome. Well, make sure you subscribe to all that. Porter's been great having you, man. Good talking to you. I'm sure we'll be doing it again. And uh, so subscribe to his stuff. Be sure to like. Share and subscribe our content as well. That will do it for another edition of Tex Hogs. My name is Kyle Sutherland for Porter Hayes. Thanks for listening.